Welcome to Digging at the Dome. Uh, at Digging at the Dome, we pride ourselves on having a diverse uh, group of guests ranging from musicians who have played in stadiums, internationally known headlining comedians of both TV and film, and super talented people with interesting stories. And I'd definitely say that the, uh, this guest here qualifies in that last category. Uh, Corey Lane Hilton has had a very interesting life in a profession that not many of us have the desire nor the equipment to excel in. Corey was a male exotic dancer in both Can in Canada and the United States. Um, he has, he's moving and transitioning into, um, I, I guess, you know, more competition for me, podcast host. Thanks a lot. Uh, but he's also, um, he's, he's a coach. Um, and, and we're definitely going to talk to him a little bit about how he's helping motivate people. He's overcome a lot um, in his life and very interested to talk to him. His book, Take It Off, Re Revelations of a Male Exotic Dancer, can be found on Amazon, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, and pretty much anywhere you can get books. Corey Hilton, welcome to Digging in the Dome. Chris, man, thank you so much for having me on. I've actually listened to a few of your podcasts, and you are absolutely right when you're talking about your guest lineup. Um, and I really, really just, man, I, I appreciate you even putting me in that light to be completely straightforward because I've always been somebody that's been try, tries to be humble in a very, very unique industry and uh, of a lot of egotism, I guess you could say. So I don't, I never really wanted to be that guy, but when it, when you you know put it that way, it, it, I appreciate that intro in a big way. So thank you. Oh, no problem. Listen, and and like, um, listen. And if only we all had as interesting uh, a life as you, um, we would have lots of stories to tell. So I don't, I, I, I kid in that I said that, oh, you're, you're starting a podcast too. I don't want to start a radio war. Kidding. Um, but uh, realistically, uh, you deserve to have one, like the things that, that you've gone through in life. And I'm definitely interested in getting into that. Um, I am going to be 100% honest with you. If you would have asked me, Hey, Chris, who is the first exotic dancer you would are you having on the show? Uh, a male would not have been the answer, okay. uh, but that's okay. I'm really glad that you're here because you have a very interesting story. So, um, I mean, I'd like to start with, uh, let's, let's, we're going to Tarantino this. We're going to work sure. backwards from where you're at right now. Let's start cool. with where you are today. So, um, you know, talk to me a little bit about uh, what you're up to. Like what, so let's talk about your podcast. What is your podcast sure. called and what is it about? Yeah, it's just uh, coming off the ground. I, I'm only opening one garage door at a time right now, Chris, to be straightforward. Otherwise, I get diluted. Mm -hmm. um, I really try my best to make sure that I stay on one. So uh, it's going to be called Take It Off. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just going to be right on my branding as well. Um, and I have a co-host by the name of Natasha, who's actually wrote a book as well here recently. It's going to be um, launching in the, in the next couple of weeks. And she's actually a former stroke survivor, actually, who, oh, wow. uh, had, believe it or not, at only 31 years old, had a stroke. Oh, and uh, she's 33 now and, and not only written an amazing book, but runs a spa. And she's really just a really driven, really motivated person. There's a really good personality that I gel really well with. So we both have our struggles, just like anybody does out there. And so we don't put ourselves on any pedestal whatsoever when it comes down to it these are relatable struggles that anybody actually can uh can understand out there but at the same time we just both have a different lens to see things through so for her obviously time is of the essence when you've almost lost your life when you've oh, been yes, paralyzed sure. you know she was blind for a little while she was paralyzed she still doesn't even have like feeling on one side of her body i mean oh, there's there's uh, there's aspects of that where when you've had that kind of an intense thing happen to you well of course um <laughs> you don't want people wasting your time right because <laughs> it's not counts, guaranteed right yeah, yeah you know we actually had a guy um i'm not sure if this is going back a while and this is like one of the first youtube um uh, uh shows that we had actually recorded is like like probably about two months into doing youtube we had uh david paris he was a um he's an author as well mm -hmm. um, and he was a finalist on america's got talent and oh. he he had suffered he got covid and it put him in a coma for like three months and it, it like changed his life so it is these moments you have to, the, the life is precious to your point. And I think that yeah, um, it's great that, you know, she, she's recovering and she's, you know, again, I think it puts things into perspective for sure. hundred percent. And this is exactly what I was trying to get to really when it comes down to like understanding other people's perspectives. Cause like, you know, when it comes down to it, 
people look at you in one light, but you don't look at yourself in that light a lot of the time, right? Like we've all heard you're your own worst judge, yep. right? Well, even when I was on stage, even when I was in a status position, when I was rubbing shoulders with all the MTV folks, when I was working at this large beach club, or even when I won my contests and stuff like that, I never really saw myself the way that other people saw me. So I was just somebody that had a lot of lack built into him, a lot of unworthiness built into him, and really a lot of emotional disconnection. And so I didn't even understand or realize that I had these issues while I was actually doing my former career. I hid behind my alter ego really in a lot of ways. And so not only did I have a different dance name, but yeah, what was your cool dance it, name? I got to know that. Ah, uh, yeah, cool. Yeah. There's a little story behind that, Chris. Um, sure. I had different dance name here in Canada than I did in the U S I spent half my career in Canada. Now my career did span from the age of 17 till 43 years old. Wow. So we're looking at 25 years. Whoa. Yeah, man. It's just insane. I look back and I think to myself, did that really happen? Um, <laughs> but you know, but at the same time, it, the reality was, is that it wasn't, it, there's, there's a big difference between, um, dancing as a male in Canada and dancing as a male in the States. There's a big difference between female dancers and male dancers. So as much as you would love to have had a female dancer on, oh, on no, no, podcast, of course I was no, just, there, no, 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 no. I, I know that, but I was just going to say it, was a, it would be a different conversation. It oh, really yeah, would sure. be a different conversation so, because it's not even apples and oranges. Man. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about the differences between let's start with, with, with um, Canadian dancing and, yeah. um, and, and then dancing in the United States. What's, what were the differences there? Well, first off, uh, here in Canada, we went full Monty, so full nude, right? And right. so um, <laughs> I'll go ahead and maybe just uh, I'll just say to your audience right now, if you have kids mm -hmm. in the car or whatever, you might want to like plug their ears or <laughs> you know, turn down the volume a couple notches for this part because uh, I always want to put that warning out. But as a, yeah. as a male dancer in Canada, a lot of people don't understand um, what we as guys had to go through to perform. Now you think, oh yeah, a guy just has to go out there on stage, he dances around a little bit, collects his tips, blah, 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 mm -hmm. um, and leave stage. But that's not the way it rolled here. Um, so basically when I joined my agency here, this was in the heyday of dancing. Now we're talking late eighties. Like we're, it was still really popular. This is a foregone industry. I mean, it's barely right. even existent anymore. Really? But, yeah. Really, you know, COVID really put a big. Oh yeah, really put that. a yes for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But but back then, like you know, here I was a young guy. I was like 23 years old at the time when I went into the full nude industry. I started off as a topless waiter, believe it or not, at 17 years old while I was going to high school. Now was this but, in the place like at, at a? I'm assuming it's got to be like at a club, a, 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 yeah. a dancing club. Okay, yeah, so it was they a started there. Night. Okay. Yeah, I started off actually in the number one ladies' night in British Columbia, Canada, back in 1987, I believe it was. Mm -hmm. And so that being said, I got kind of like I didn't get exploited in any way. I, I actually found my way in through a friend, and, and it was just there's a bit of a story behind that. But the bottom line was, is for my first little while there, I wasn't doing full nude or anything. I was just actually a topless waiter serving drinks with no shirt off, kind of Chippendale style sort of Yeah, like of stuff. a little little bow tie, maybe a little yeah, right. Yeah. So it was, it was just kind of an ideal thing for the for a young guy in high high school, like my grandparents yeah. who raised me, they were like, you know what, man, if he doesn't get messed up on drugs and he's not like skipping his, or screwing up his grades, let the kid do what he wants to do. And I, I owned up to my end. Mm -hmm. So it basically to make a long story kind of condensed with that was, is that I went through some interesting times when I was that young man going into the scene, because like, again, like I wasn't that type of guy that even saw myself in that type of a role. In fact, it was one of my biggest fears as a kid being exposed. Yeah. That's so, yeah, that's what I'm going to ask. Was. Like, that's got to be crazy. Like, to think about, yeah. like, now I have to, so taking off your shirt's one thing because you go to the beach, I'm sure. Like, that, that's like a normal yeah. thing. Like, you know, that doesn't, I shouldn't, you know, you're in, in maybe in locker rooms, stuff like that. That's not sure. um, something that would be terrifying pretty much to anybody, I don't think. Like, unless there's some people that don't want to have their shirt off, you know, like they don't have a body for it and, and, and it's understandable. But, yeah. you know, if you're in a, a, especially a young guy, relatively in shape guy or really in shape guy, having your shirt off, no big deal. But then yeah. the second that, the rest of it comes off that has yeah. got to be absolutely terrifying. Yeah, man. Like I was actually, I remember the first time I saw like an actual male dancer actually do a show, like I'm not talking about the topless waiter, but the actual strip. Yeah, oh yeah. Dance. The whole, and, yeah. and I remember I said to one of my buddies, I looked at him and I said, there's just no way in hell. Right. And so oh, like wow. when, but, but the crazy part was, is that I actually, 
through working at that club, I ran into a lot of other male dancers. In fact, four that used to rotate every ladies' night. So I would meet so many of these guys that worked this circuit through this one agency here at the time. And at mm-hmm. that time, again, like they were like superstars, right? Like it was just crazy the way this ladies' night was at that time. Yeah, and sure. it had a club that was split into two sides. So there was men on one side, oh, women on the other. No kidding. So, yeah. Okay. So you actually had like strippers of both genders on both it's, sides, right? That's not really a common thing in America, though, right? Like usually they yeah. kind of like have just like their own, like the, the, the there's one club for the dudes and then there's one clubs for the yeah. ladies. Yeah. So, so that kind of was just like, I walked right in at 17 years old. You could only imagine like you're walking to this ladies night scene and it's mayhem on one side. And then the guys are all chill on the other side, watching like <laughs> a couple girls do a duo act on the floor. Right? right. So I'm like sitting there going like, Oh my God, like this is crazy. Yeah. And so it just ended up really what it ended up happening was I, in fact, met up with the number one male exotic dancer in all of Canada. He was like the Elvis of stripping back then. Like the guy oh, was wow. just chiseled, rock hard body, like yep. wicked build. Like, and, and I mean, hung like a horse the whole nine yards. Horse, yes. spin, it could spin on a freaking uh, dime, man. Like it was just ridiculous, right? Good helicopter. So, good for him. Yeah, right? So I looked up to him a lot and I, you know, I said to him one time we were chit-chatting and he really, really, the reason why I really looked up to him wasn't what he did on stage, it was what he did off stage. So like okay. when he was actually conversing with the ladies, he actually treated everybody with class. He had a British accent, just kind of, he had all oh, the things, helps. right? Oh, that definitely helped that, that yeah. British accent, any kind of an accent really does. Help, <laughs> right. So yeah. So he, and he dressed well and all that, like he just represented himself so well. So he started chatting with me. He said, Corey, man, he goes, do you really think that you couldn't do what I do? And I was like, man, I'm like, look, come on. Right. And he was like, yeah. you got everything that I got more. Like, he's like, all you have to do is listen to what I have to say. I'll bring you into the industry. I'll help you, whatever it takes to wow. get out. Took you under his it. wing. Yeah, man. So, so now we're back full circle to the name. So what happened was this, we were sitting there and at that time, not only was I working as a male, uh, I should say waiter on ladies nights, but I was also on Friday and Saturday nights. I decided to start working the door and being a bouncer. So, So I was kind of working like four nights a week now as this young guy, as a bouncer, IDing people to get in the bar when I was already underage myself. So I was only <laughs> 18 and I'm IDing people to me, you know, it was just crazy talking to the police officer standing next to me, asking me how his night is and all that. So it was just this really wild, really crazy kind of thing to, uh, for a young guy to be involved in. Mm-hmm. So since I was a bouncer, he said to me, he goes, Corey, what's your favorite movie? And at that time it was Roadhouse, Patrick Swayze. Oh, yes, all the way. Like, yes. I was just like, man, that was <laughs> yeah. Right. Like big time. So, yeah, so he said, what's the, what's the main character's name? And I said, yeah, it's Dalton. He's like, yeah. okay, cool. And he goes, well, what's, what's, you're a big guy. And I was pretty big at that time. He goes, well, uh-huh. he says, man, we got to give you a powerful name. And he's thought for a couple of seconds, he goes strong. Let's go with strong. So it was like, okay, Dalton strong. So Dude, within like fantastic. 10 minutes, yeah. roadhouse and strong. <laughs> Dude, yeah, right. How you could not come? Like, that's a fantastic name. <laughs> that was the first one you landed on. You didn't like have any like. Uh, oh man, <laughs> you know? it was just it, within, I swear, Chris. Within ten minutes after this original conversation, we had a name created. Within a week, we had an act created. So wow. like, all, and he said to me, he was like, "Okay, let's do the movie theme." He's like, uh, "What's what's one of your favorite movies?" I was like, at that time, I was like, "Oh man, Terminator 2. It was like Terminator. Love some Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh no. So way. he says, "Okay, let's do a Terminator act." So he actually, we put it together. And this is the funny thing was, is that I was actually the one that did the voiceover for my Terminator act. So I actually got on there and tried to be uh, my best Arnold and no put way. it on to the tape, right? Uh-huh. So when I was coming out to do my act, not only was it weird going out to actually strip for women, but yeah. I was actually lip syncing my own voice doing Arnold Schwarzenegger, oh which is really, really whack. That is right? really like, weird. Did you have to practice that a whole lot? You had to have like, all right, yeah. mess it up. I was, like, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, it did not work out. It's not fantastic <laughs> at all. So I just moved along. <laughs> so it was just uh, funny, right? So we did that. And then, so that was like a, kind of my first act, right? Uh-huh. And then like, it just kind of progressed from there. And the one thing that I'll say, I think that really, I really stayed in the industry for as long as I did. And the reason why I kind of did was, is I always wanted to bring an emotional rise out of people. Like I always tried to get emotions out of people. Yeah. So through my creativity, I did that. And sometimes my creativity was so awesome where I was like, oh my God, just hit a home run out of the park. And then there was other yeah. times when my creativity was pure shit and I should have yeah. stuck to the YMCA act, you know, so look, so. this is, this is, that's, it's a pretty common thing. So we, we cause I just said to you, like we, we interview um, a lot of uh, musicians and comedians and, and people that are on the stage all the time. Right. So mm-hmm. the, the stories that they tell like um, are, are really, they range. Right. So we had a guy from uh Candlebox, the guitarist from Candlebox was on. Um, yeah. They're, they're fantastic. And he was talking so, about like how, um, it like the the difference the the really essentially the dichotomy between 
going out to a, he's like, okay, I got a gig. And cause he was, he's a very humble guy, Brian. Um, he, he would always go to, um, and do like local gigs all the time, regardless of how big he got. He said, I always want to stay close to people. And, and it helps him continue to like, you know, craft his, his, um, his skills and stuff like that. Keep, keep it, keep the chops up when he's not touring. So he's like, yeah, I'm in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania playing in front of like 15 people, you know, like plates are scraping, you know, glasses are breaking. Then I get on a plane and go and play in front of 20,000, you know, like, or, uh, so cool. comedian, um, uh, actually it's pretty funny. Like most comedians will have gone in here and independent of like talking to, to, they didn't like necessarily watch all of our episodes where we're talking to comedians would say, Oh, the worst, uh, uh, gigs I've ever had are at a golf club. So comedians, if you're out there, stay away from golf clubs, apparently <laughs> you're going to bomb there no matter what you do. So oh, it's interesting. You just have those on nights and those off nights and you got to roll with the punches, right? Dude, you know what I love about stand-up comedians, though? The one thing that I really like, I mean, obviously, I'm an old fan of, like, Eddie Murphy, you know, the good old ones, Richard mm-hmm. Pryor and all those back in the day, right? I'm yep. a 51-year-old guy, so I remember all that shit. Yeah. <laughs> but what I'm saying is is that it's kind of like, what I really admire about them is is they walk right in, and they're, like, wide open to failure. Because if you yeah. bomb, right? If you bomb, yeah. okay, like, you're, it's going to suck taking the hit. Yeah. You're going to learn something from it. Right. Oh, yeah. And so I have a couple of my stand up buddies that uh, I'm just like, I, I admire them so much for having the balls to go out there and do oh, that. Dude, like, you eat, go up there, eat it like just a d- yeah. silence and like yeah. nothing. It's even like if you got, I think that if you go up there and you get booed, okay, at least yeah. I invoked to your point, I evoked an emotion out of somebody. That's they're right. not happy yeah. with what I'm doing. But if you just sit up there and you're, you're sitting there and like literally you're talking and you just hear, like cough in the background, <laughs> sweat, flop sweat will just start pouring off. You're like, oh God, get me out of here. Where's the light? Yeah, uh, no, <laughs> man. And I mean, I, I admit though, like with what I was doing, it was kind of like, I guess you could say like, I didn't really have that same type of risk because it was like for ladies night in general, like, I mean, I'll be straight up. Like I, I really did do well with my career. I'm not saying that I was the best, but I did pretty well with it. But I knew yeah. guys that came into the industry that shouldn't even have been on stage at times. Right. Like, and I'm not, downgrading anybody I what do you mean by that like, be judging why, why were they just saying like, like maybe they were like so like didn't have any dance moves whatsoever oh, their skill the body for it like nothing right. right but still were accepted by the ladies night crowd because women are just like hey baby you know they're just out there to have a good time, good time right, right. Like, they're having fun. yeah they're not judgmental they're not criticism they're not really critical like i'm not going to stereotype all women as being that way but i'm just right. saying when it comes down to it they're a lot more giving in comparison to the other side of the coin. When you got a female dancer that's up there dealing with the male mentality, where you got the guy with his beer gut sitting there in the front yeah. row looking up at some girl, going, "You know, she should have a better ass, or she should wear a better costume. Maybe Look her dance you. music sucks, right?" And you know, she'll he'll sit there and criticize the hell out of her without even taking any accountability for his own ass, right? Where right. women are a little different with that, right? So hey, I was kind of. You know, it's kind of a cool industry. You, you mentioned uh, dance skills. So like, it kind of like begged the question to kind of go backwards a little bit. Sure. Like, was that something that you like? So as an example, so um, David Paris, the guy that we had on previously from America's Got Talent, he was a dancer yeah. and an acrobat. So like, that was like his skill set. So, yeah. and like he had um, been, that's been something he had been into forever. He was a salsa dancer, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and like I said, an acrobat. So like something that he was into, like, is that something dancing? Was that something that you were into for at a very young age or something you just oh, got into? Yeah. Not at all. I'm going to give you the ancient Chinese secret here. Actually, okay. over my entire 25 year career, I think I only had about five dance moves. I just can, I just changed them up and put a different accent on them every time. Like right. I, I cheated my way through that. And I really, <laughs> when, when it came down to it, like I just got really creative with acts, man. Like, you know, like wasn't, it was when, when I would say that, that when I was really good was when I put my own personal pain into an act or I put my own personal touch into it as far as comedy went or something, just mm-hmm. being something different, right? Like anyway. I was always just that type of person that wanted to just kind of, I didn't want to be that typical YMCA dancer, the cop, the construction worker. I did it. Right. But I'm right. just saying it's not something that really made me just have goosebumps. So when I would go out on stage, right? Like, yeah, I had the fear like anybody does, like you, you, you're going to be, you're going to have a bit of that, that if you don't, you're, 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 really, I guess you could say not in the right place because you should feel a little bit of that. But I learned to flick that switch off and just go for it when I walked out. As soon as I took the first step, I was like, okay, now switched off the old guy. Like you're, you're the, the totally alter ego on now let's go out there and rip it. Right. So, and then I, I didn't really believe in my whole time when I was dancing that I even took that alter ego off stage with me, but I unfortunately had to learn that lesson the hard way through my relationships a few times where I did Mm -hmm. take it off stage. Well, so you would say like, just the, like the, Cause I, you know, I can imagine too, like, so there's, you know, cause just for, for, for context, 
yeah. if my my co-host was here. Uh, but he's busy, <laughs> like I said, uh, doing baby stuff and moving, uh, unpacking boxes. Uh, we were both in 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 a band together for. I've known him since my whole life, but we've been in band. I've been in bands since I was like eighteen years old, and you know that's like you know we're talking now, you know, twenty eight years or twenty seven yeah. years. Um, so. And, and he and I were in a band together for 17 of those years. And so we would play, and we played all over the place, we played CBGBs, we played all Wicked. like up down the coast, um, you know, across the country, you know, played a lot of different cool venues and stuff like that. And it very much is like, so you're off stage, you're kind of like getting yourself mentally prepared and then you have to go into showman mode, right? I'm going in there and then uh, I gotta be, I gotta be in the moment. I have to, sure. you know, do that. So it's, it's interesting, you know, because you do like when you come off stage, turning it off, it's not like a switch. So I can imagine for you, especially because you're getting a lot of adulation, people are, you know, um, you know, cat calling you and like cat calling you and like, you know, like yeah. throwing money at you and, and, and stuff like that. It's kind of like it's the amount of of uh, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like the good feeling that you get, like the the emboldening you know, feeling that you get must've been really crazy high. So like, is that, is that kind of what you're saying is like, you had to carry, you're carrying that you're carrying Dalton strong out into your real life. To a certain degree, Chris, what I mean by that more so is when, especially when I got to Florida, like when I got to Florida, I didn't go under my Dalton strong name anymore. I went under my real name, which is Corey Lane or my middle name. And when I was down there, it wasn't about just being on stage. It was about like, you know, really during the day, being out of the pool deck, attracting girls to come inside the club or ladies night. So ah, I was paid to, I was paid to part. I was paid to party, man. Right. Like, you know, it was like, it, it, you'd be the, the toughest thing that I had to do was learn choreography and stay in good shape in the gym. From there, it was kind of like, man, the, the club closed at four o'clock and a lot of time we'd still be ripping it, watching the sunrise on the beach, right? Like it was just nonstop 24 hours being paid to party. So it was like, man, there's just a lot of, like, as crazy as it was, I got stressed out from partying too much after a while. Yeah, sure. It was just kind of like, and so when you go into that zone of just like, um, it's, you kind of, it all kind of blends together. Yeah. And so I ended up kind of, like I said, regretfully bringing some of my own ego into my own marriage and into some of my relationships where there was failures that came into that, into play with that from looking up to somebody too much or looking down at somebody too much, never really sure. looking people in the eye. Right. So yeah. there's just an element of that where, where I, I really express it a lot in my book because my book is really based a lot off relationships and memories. Cause to me, that's kind of what life's all about. So, mm -hmm. you know, for me, it was just kind of like, I, I really wanted to show people that it's more than just a biography about a bunch of stripper stories. Like sure. there's literally 10, there's core values there that were degraded in a lot of ways, take stripping away from my authenticity that I really clarify. And so my goal really is to help out my 30 year old self, like the person that struggled with all that shit, right? Like there's a lot mm -hmm. of guys out there that can relate to what I'm talking about. not see it through my lens. So, but, but if I can back up a second, I was going to sure, mention to you a little bit about like that whole difference between the Canadian dancers and the Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah we were talking dancers, about that. Right? Yeah, Cause we were kind of in that and it kind of straight off. So yeah, <laughs> unfortunately yeah. I get into that zone sometimes. That's I'm okay. Talking about Look, crazy this is very common in this podcast where we go down <laughs> multiple different roads. We just take it where it goes. It's okay. So let's. Yeah. But I'm very interested in that. So we we already we've yeah. already established two differences. Um, first one was there's we have, we're, we're birthday suit compliant, right? This is I'm completely nude. That's number one. Second thing yeah. is uh, the the idea of uh, the eighth grade dance strip club where all the men are on one side and all the women are on the other side. So you've got you got that. So what, tell me more. Yeah, man. Well, so like when you're going nude here in Canada, like a lot of people don't realize though, like that there's a really, I guess you could say, um, I, I'm very vulnerable when I talk about this because it's something that a lot of people just don't, can't even comprehend. So when we went when nude here, like we were required to actually to make ourselves look bigger, so to speak down there, what we mm -hmm. have to do before a show is, mm -hmm. is we would go back to our change room. Now that change room could be literally a squared off curtain on the side of the stage while a guy is actually dancing right beside you in the middle of ladies night. Or oh, it could Lord. be maybe a bathroom in the back by where all the empty beer bottles are. Or if you're really lucky, it might even be your bathroom in your freaking hotel room. Right. And if you got that, that luxury, then you were in good because what we had to do is we'd have to go back in the change room just after we put our costume on, get an erection, tie mm -hmm. an elastic band around the base of our ah, and basically yikes. hold all the blood in there for the entire time that you're doing the show. So sometimes you do like a 15, 20 minute show. And yeah, it was painful when you pulled that thing off. Not going to deny it. It's like when you wrap your finger up a few times at the spring oh and you pull it's it all off. purple you and feel it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same sort of damn thing, right? Yeah. So <laughs> fortunately, through 25 years, I didn't do it 
completely through that my entire career. When I went to the mm-hmm. States, I didn't have to do that anymore. But for the first 10 years, yes, I did. And oh, really? so I had a lot of interesting experiences, yeah. whether it would be, you know, working in Winnipeg, Canada, or maybe in Vancouver, there's a big difference. So Vancouver, I might have one, maybe two shows a night at the most that I'd have to do. Winnipeg, on the other hand, I might have to do five or six in a night. So you could imagine it's minus 30 degrees. You're in oh. a freaking car with your driver that's been driving you around for a few weeks and you're in the back of the car with your Kojima getting ready for the next show. And yeah, you're like, like looking. Yeah. yeah, he's not even looking in the rear view mirror. He's just looking straight forward going, hey, I hope yeah. everything works out. Yeah. Yeah, good luck, buddy. So, yeah, right. <laughs> so that was kind of what it was. And it, I, I can't even tell you the intense pressure that that raises oh in you when you're just trying, even imagine being in like, like I said, like a squared curtain on the side of a stage right in the middle of a ladies night and you got a chair there and you're just sitting there with your head trying to think in your mind how like, to get oh, an God. erection in this situation, right? So oh my there's a lot God. of mind control and trying to just kind of keep your, keep that straight in your head. Right. So these yeah, are that's things crazy. That, and you didn't even have like the benefit of like all the, like the, the blue shoes and the Viagra's and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that they've no, got today. That wasn't People are cheating. That this man knows yeah. how to get an erection. That's what I'm <laughs> yeah. Right. That's still, but here's the crazy part, Chris, this is where it got really nuts, man. It was just like, when I went to do Mr. Nude Western Canada, and this is back in 1997. Mr. Just, Nude you know, West, it was called? Uh, Western Canada for oh, Western, Western Canada. Canada. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 we did contests back then. And actually, like back then, um, they, we had Mr. Nude Western Canada and then Mr. Nude Canada. So I've mm-hmm. actually that year won Mr. Nude Western Canada and then went to play uh, to compete in Mr. Nude Canada and took second there. So, but That's it was awesome. kind of, yeah, it was cool. But at the same time, the Mr. Nude Western Canada story is pretty insane because like I said, we had to get, get go get tied off and stuff for the show. Mm. So you go do that, and then I get tied off, dude. And then all of a sudden, the other another dancer that was supposed to go on before me, he shows up. And what happened was, is he was already delayed, and the the DJ told me, "Hey, man, oh, you need to go get back and get no. ready." So I'm standing there, fully tied off. I'm in my right. costume, ready to go. And this other guy comes walking in, throws his shit at the DJ, and says, "Let's go." So he goes out there and does like a 20 minute print set oh, while I'm standing no. there. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's doing Purple Rain and everything. I can't even listen oh, to Purple Rain the same way anymore. Yeah. And like, literally, like, I'm talking, like, I'm standing there, dude, in my costume. Oh. And like, I got sweat beating down my forehead, like, before I even go on stage, right? I'm like standing there, like, oh, fuck. So I go out to do the show. And of course, I get do a kick ass freaking show. But what ends up happening is, is I got this lineup of girls and I got two, maybe three encores to do. So by the time oh. I finished my entire shit, everything that I'd done, yeah. plus the other guy's time, I'd been yeah. tied off for an hour and 10 oh, minutes. For the love of Christ. And so, yeah, I went back into the change room, snipped that thing off, and like it just hit the roof like with the pain, right? Oh, my and then, God. And then on top of that, I went completely numb. So I won the contest. I'm standing there and I'm signing autographs for this lineup of girls across the bar. And like a couple of them are saying, you know, hey, baby, whatever. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, don't even There's waste no your time. There's no chance, lady. Don't even I, waste I, your time. <laughs> like it's, it's like completely useless. I'll talk to you in 48. You know? I know. Like, don't even bother. Oh my right? God. So, so that was just a little story about that. Dude. But then, you know, like I said, man, like I, I wrote like a hundred thousand word book because of the fact that over 25 years, I have a shitload of other stories. Oh, those stories. Like yeah. Crazy, this is, if this, right? listen, I don't, I, I know my audience well enough. We got a big audience, a decent sized audience. They're, they're going to read your book just based on that alone. Just, just to find that's, a follow up. Don't leave the, uh, don't put the ending out there because they got to nah, get out there. But that's, that's nah, crazy that they, that they made yeah. you do that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that oh, was one Lord. thing, but I'll even, I'll even give you another little tidbit of the story that I was like, I haven't really said on many podcasts, but it's just oh, one, uh, just a funny bloody story that I, I chuckled to myself about a little bit now. Cause you know, the shit you do when you're young sometimes oh, yeah. and you just got, yeah. you gotta laugh at yourself. So I was actually uh, doing a show in a little club called back in the day called Barry T's in Edmonton, Alberta, of course, cold as hell up there. Yeah, of course. And <laughs> so I ended up doing this gig and I was actually with uh, a dance review at the time. So it wasn't a tied off show. I didn't, I wasn't going naked. Oh, I was just, right. Jesus. So I, had this, <laughs> so I had this one patented move that I used to do. And it was like this kind of like spin move that I just spin all the way across the stage and then plant my one foot, kick out the other way. It was just something that I always did. Right. It's oh, easy for me. It's your signature move. It was kind of that. Yeah, yeah, sort of. And so, so I went out to do it and this particular night was different because this club actually was set up where the stage was in the round, right? As you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yep. So there's in the round and then they basically had like, um, scaffolding material that raised the actual dance floor up 
six feet in the air so that they, you would be, actually be eye level with the girls as you did the show because ah. the, the dance floor was kind of sunken right right so this there's this this thing like this thing is like all this plywood on top of this scaffolding material and it's just this one big flat stage so i'm doing this spin move and i go all the way across the bloody move or across uh-huh. the stage uh-huh. go to plant my foot and i miss the edge of the oh, no. oh, no. freaking oh, inch and you dude, eat it right off the stage <laughs> no man i scraped my ankle down oh, the no. inside of my leg in a g string oh literally like all the way down the inside of my leg scraped it down bashed my crotch right on the edge of the stage and flipped over and ended up down six feet laying there and all the whole crowd was like from like freaking out losing it to just like (gasps) dead silent right yeah like oh no is he okay yeah so my guys in my group came up and they're like holy shit did he break his leg And, and i was okay i was just everywhere. Did the so DJ just, roll the punches? Yeah, yeah no, they just for kept Dalton, the, kept, Dalton kept everybody. The, <laughs> I, yeah, they just kept the music rolling, right? It was just yeah. kind of like whatever. Those guys are unflappable, man. They just yeah, the MC keep was on like, going. He, the show must go yeah, on. Yeah, the MC got on there. He's like, it's all right. He's fine. He's fine. So I, I got back up on the stage and it was just the funniest bloody thing. This is why I re- really vividly remember this. So I'm like <laughs> literally bleeding down my leg oh, and I just spread out this, this blanket on the freaking stage and i just like laid there and these yeah. girls were all lined up and they were just like throwing sympathy tips right like oh, they just yeah. have like loonies and toonies the code the coins up here in canada they're just throwing <laughs> them at the blanket like this poor son of a bitch he's hurting so bad right now i wouldn't have tipped him before but i'm gonna tip him now right? oh yeah now you're gonna get so, really paid like that was yeah. not planned i swear to god i did not injure myself on purpose to get paid <laughs> yeah it's, it's just funny when i look back at moments oh, like that man. as painful as it was right it's just so funny that's that's sticks, crazy right? so so yeah. so okay so we've now we've established <laughs> we've established a couple things the the eighth grade dance difference we've established the complete nudity and now we've also established tying it off which is just fucking bananas to me all right so is there any other differences really between canadian uh male exotic dancing and then the united states you know just really in the states a lot of the time it's a lot of dance reviews right like thunder from down under type of guys oh yeah yeah chippendales right like it's a lot of dance reviews you don't see a lot of like solo artists like we were we were a bunch of freaking ragtag solo artists up here there's like 60 of us in the agency and we just kind of get booked all over canada you'd, you'd find your way there basically and you got paid for your gas or whatever to get out there and you do your gig and it would you know you'd have like a, a bigger base pay because it wasn't there wasn't as many tips and it was just one of those things it was just that there's just differences in pay and the way it was structured right mm-hmm. but when i got to the states that was my creativity really went on a different level because when you're working with five guys as you know even in a band right like your creativity yeah. it changes because you're bouncing ideas off of other guys you're trying you're working more as a team there's chemistry mm-hmm. there all that and that's the one thing i can really relate that's why i actually contact you guys because like i can really relate to the band thing although i didn't play any instruments so to speak mm-hmm. um it was <laughs> kind of that same kind of mentality where you're, you're going like i said from club to club you're all over the friggin' u.s like i did every club in the whole southeastern u.s i believe right like wow. we we that's were fantastic. all over the place and it was really cool because like we were kind of a i guess you could say almost like a such a team we had each other's backs a lot of the time and we really had to, right? Because there was so much crazy shit was happening. But I guess all I can say is, is for me, when I went down there, what really changed was, is that first off, I was raised by my grandparents here in Canada. Mm-hmm. So I kind of grew up in this, I guess you could say traditional household where a lot of morality and integrity was represented and stuff. Sure. But they also, unfortunately, due to my, my family background, as far as my grandfather in particular, he was World War II vet. He was kind of a, oh, wow. a programmed um, with no emotion type of person. Like he had emotion. He was a great man. Don't get me wrong. But right. what I'm saying is- but He's probably more reserved, like kept it in a little yeah, bit. Didn't know. It blocked a lot of that stuff, right? Yeah. Because it's just too much because he didn't know how to really- I guess you could say say yeah, things you need to know like how to learn it get it out yeah and it was, it was it was something that I struggled with as well he passed it down to me but I don't blame him that was my own that was under my own control yeah but what I'm getting at is is that I that's where I'm talking about about not really addressing the interior shit like I always kind of relied on the exterior and got away with it and never right. really did look deeply into that so that's been a journey of self-discovery <laughs> In I was gonna ask, what was the trigger for that? Like, so like, so you get, cause you, you mentioned um, a little bit about like hitting the bottom, right? Like, and, and yeah. like finding like, cause I'm you, when you hit that, you know, obviously that, that gives you the similar, like, I'm not making the comparison with your, your uh, co-host to have the stroke, but like, no. you do have those moments yeah. in life where you're just like, okay, I got to change some shit. This is not, yeah. this is not working. And, and then you start to do a lot of self-reflection. What was that point for you? Well, 
it was a few rock bottoms actually. Like I, I, like I said, man, I could be on here telling you about rock bottoms all all day long. To be honest, <laughs> I mean, it was kind of like my my whole life was steak and lobster one day, crap and dinner the next to a certain degree. But right. what I'm saying is, is that when it came to like that upbringing that I had, like with with the way that my grandfather, he his words actually sometimes resonated with me when he wasn't even around. Right. Yeah. So like you and so. When I left Canada at like 26 years old to go to the, to work in Florida, I got offered a position down there because I just happened to run into this agent who at the original club that I worked at years before said, Hey, Corey, if you ever decide you want to come work with my group, here's my card. Like, he's like, I hate to even try to invite you down because he's like, for a, you know, for even though you're a really big guy, he's like, I'm kind of freaked out for you living in the States because you're too nice to live down there. Like, it's <laughs> kind of like you're just really way too good of a dude. Yeah, but he was right. like, you know what? here's my card. So five years later, I ended up contacting him at 26 and ended up down there. So I left my family. I left my friends. I left everything that I knew. Mm -hmm. And when you do that and you move into a different world where nobody's judging you, you're not normalized by anyone anymore. Like you're not known for the kid. No, they don't know you. Like you're you're whoever you want to be. Damn straight. So I go there and I, three days after I go there and honestly, Chris, I'd never touched a drug in my life outside of (laughs) a six pack of beer at a party on the weekend when I was right. in high school. Right. And the crazy thing was this, and I'm not here to condone this to your audience. Don't get me That's wrong. Okay. That's okay. That's all right. But what I'm just saying is, is that for an emotionally disconnected person at a really hard time, because I didn't have a whole lot of love yous and sweeties and honeys in my household. Mm-hmm. When I grew up, when I went down to Florida and somebody said, Hey man, try this little ecstasy pill. It'll yeah. blow your freaking mind. And I looked at it. I was like, yeah, that, what's that one little pill going to do to me? And I popped that thing. All of a sudden, a door to emotion opened up inside. I mean, it was like tasting food for the first time. I ate it all my life, but I just never really tasted it. So I actually tasted that emotion for the first time. And that was a game changer. Right. And I walked right in that door and it took me to the top at times and it took me to rock bottom at other times. Yeah. But it never really took me where I wanted to go. It was yeah. just a great experience that allowed me to open up a lot, but it didn't really, like I said, I'm not here to condone it, but do I have no. regrets? No. no, man. I don't have any regrets. No, dude, at all. Uh, look, you're talking to someone that's been, and we've, we've talked about it in a great detail. Um, like the, in bands, like, you know, uh, you know, we, we've, definitely done our share of, of things. <laughs> so right. like, we're not, we're not like, we are definitely not a judgmental group here. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and look it, like there there are it's interesting if you look at the um the way that the the um view on certain things has changed like you, oh, yeah. you know marijuana is one thing like now like uh, people using psilocybin and using yeah. it medicinally not using it to abuse it but using it to actually to to help them yes um you know there there are practical uses for some of these things now i'm not saying necessarily that um, you know, like to your point, you don't want people just to go and go hog yeah, wild, no. but there are, there, there are things that it can, it can do for you that, you know, that maybe otherwise you would not have gotten. And, and, it, you know, it's just, yeah, it man, is, it's, like, it's life, right? It, and, and, and this is the crazy part. I just actually done some research on this recently because you're right about the psilocybin thing, as far as just basically being able to help out with depression and whatnot. But yeah. Very interesting thing that I just read on lately. FDA is actually looking at opening it up. This yeah. is under actually professional circumstances, monitoring it in the right way. Not the party drug, like let's go out and rip it up all night in a rave, but I'm talking yeah. about like the pure form of MDMA. MDMA. Yeah. Using it actually now to actually help out people with a, a PTSD. And I can yeah. understand how that would work. I right. really can understand how that would work. Yeah. Now, and like, like it's I not said, meant to abuse it. It's like, but no. if you, but in controlled environments with yeah. people that understand how that works. And again, as, as science gets better, you know, it's, it's like kind of like the difference, like uh, we, we joked about on this podcast before is like when we were when we were in you know, like college and stuff like that, you know, we'd be spending copious amounts of time trying to pick little seeds out of pot and like stuff like that. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Like trying to get to the goodness. But like <laughs> like, you know, now it's like it like you open up a jar and it's like glowing. It's just like perfect. Yeah. You know, it's like that, it's like yeah. that, that kind of thing because they figured it out. And and yeah. and again, like you think about some of the the uses of some of these things that people have been frowning upon for a long time, mm-hmm. like, like alcohol, like is rough. Like, you know, like there's, yeah. it's, it's, oh, it's dude. for all intents and purposes, it's poison. You're poisoning so, yourself. I still drink, you know, so it's not like I, I, I'm not shitting on it. I'm just saying that it, like comparatively, like the, the way that the other stuff has been demonized, it's oh, only, it, it's not necessarily because of it's worse. Yeah. Well, you know, I heard about the devil's lettuce for a lot of years myself and I live in British Columbia, Canada. So, you know, <laughs> you're preaching to the choir over here, but you know, I'm just saying, yeah. 
you know, I, I believe fully it's a gateway drug. It's a gateway out for me. It was a gateway mm-hmm. to actually stop me from doing ecstasy for so many yeah. years. It actually helped go. me out a lot. Right. But like, mm-hmm. that's just my perspective. Right. Yep. Yeah. But, no, listen, we're, but, yeah. we're big supporters. <laughs> so we, we understand. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but, so you, you have like changed your life. Like you're, you're, so you got out of the, the this industry, you decided not to do this yeah. anymore. And there was a point when you said no more. Now we, you, we kind of breezed past this, but you did say that you mm-hmm. were married. So when did yeah, that man. occur in this whole journey? When did you get uh-huh. married? Okay. So oddly enough, when I was going through a pretty heavy ecstasy phase, it was like, I was really, really hungry for like, I mean, like I said, when you're in this party zone where you just have a shitload of acquaintances and you don't really have anybody, you don't really know who to trust as your real friends, right? Because everybody's yeah. looking at your status. They're not really looking at your worth, right? Yeah. And that, I even made that mistake, mistaking status for worth for a while there. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, like, I, I was actually like really in, in a zone where I was kind of just really wanting to have some kind of connection with someone. And ironically, I was going through a small town, just actually uh, South of Macon, Georgia, a little place called Warner Robins. Mm-hmm. And um, we were, we were, we were doing a show out there and um, I, I'll never forget it. I just walked in and there was about 500 girls in there waiting for the show to start. And there was this one blonde girl. She was like sitting in the seat, maybe like four or five rows back from the front. And she, and I just made eye contact with her. And I looked at my buddy, Jeff, who was from New York. And I looked at him and I was like, Oh my God. He was like, what? And I said, I just, there's just something about her. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of weird. And then all of a sudden, um, <laughs> I actually was doing my show and I'd um, been working probably in the industry for, I would say, hmm, I don't know, solid 12 years in the industry at that time. Well, no, I wouldn't say that I was only 28 years old. So maybe 10 years in the industry total. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course I'd accepted a lot of tips. And that night I remember doing my gig and I jumped up on the chair right in front of her and there's money waving all over the place. And she had her dollar bill up and she was smiling at me. And I just looked at her and I was like, you're the one, you're the first one. She was like, what? And I said, you're the first one. I don't want your money. I was like, I just want to know you. And I just I, oh, I sat down on the table. Fucking I, great. Look at you. All <laughs> yeah. strong. Come with a strong line, doggy. <laughs> so I sat down in the chair in my G-string right in front of her. And I was like, there's money waving everywhere. And I was like, do me a favor. Just wait till after the show. And and uh, I have some Polaroids, pictures that I have to take. But after that, I want to get to know you. I really do. So she oh, did. Oh, wow. So anyways, and it, it was just kind of oddly enough, um, we had these shirts that were we were sponsored by Budweiser that night. So mm-hmm. we were handing out shirts at the end of the show. And at the closer, I threw the shirt out there into the audience. And she was only like four foot ten. Wow. <laughs> and I remember like she came down with that shirt, which is funny. I think she well she might even still have it. Like Spud Web. She's jumping up. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So but ironically we just we just had a really good connection. She ended up like we ended up being like one of my best friends in a lot of ways. And it didn't really take that long before we were actually moved in together. She moved to Florida and I took her out of this world in Georgia of really just kind of backwoods world where she was raised in a pretty shitty environment and brought her into this crazy MTV party life of drugs, sex, and rock and roll. And it was like, yeah. all of a sudden we were like, just this crazy toxic uh, twins grew, you know, just kind of yeah. relationship where, and we were really kind of an odd couple because I was six foot two. She's four foot 10 kind of looked like oh a manager, Pamela Anderson. And we're just That's like, fantastic. It was just wild. Like we go to the mall and like all eyes would just turn like, and look at us like a couple of professional wrestlers or something. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. Yeah. Right. So we, just, we, we, we just get off on it. We just chuckle about it all the time. But what was funny about it, Chris, was she fell in love with my creativity. She really like fell in love with the guy that was, you know, excited and happy and all those things that you do when you're in this honeymoon stage, but right. sex, drugs, and rock and roll only last so long. So when I got yeah. out of the industry for a short time, I lost that creativity. I lost that excitement. And even knowing now that through my training, what I've been doing in this last couple of years, I realized how to connect those dots. Mm-hmm. So what I'm getting at is, is that in the end, just to be straightforward, I did not cheat on my ex-wife. In fact, for eight years of marriage, I did not cheat on her one freaking time out on the road, doing all the shit, running around, not one. Mm-hmm. In the end, the relationship degraded. She made the move. She was the one that strayed from me. Oh, At wow. the same time, I'm not crying a river over it. I'm just as responsible as she was for the action. I didn't look at it that way for many, many years. I'm I sure you were probably hurt and like, like hey, look, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm out there. Yeah. And basically you were legitimately putting yourself like a, a worm on a hook <laughs> to go use your fishing analogy from earlier. And, there you go. and like, but I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to let any fish bite on me, you know, yeah. like, yeah. but I she, was just a hook. 
You're just like, yeah, like I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm not trying to catch any fish here, you know, uh, trying to catch some tips is what I'm trying to get. <laughs> exactly. And you know, what's ironic about that is, is that I used to make her feel really good because she was younger than I was. So I make her feel really good. Like I go out and do shows and she'd be in the back with the, you know, the dancer wives and stuff. And I just like have a little skirt of money around my G string. I just grab all my money and just shove it in her purse to make her feel good right in the middle of the show. Like I just come like, back. Here you go. She'd be like, Oh my God, I feel like a million bucks. Right. So we, we just had a lot of fun and I used to love blowing her mind and stuff. And we just had all this kind of stuff go on, but then, you know, when the seven year itch happens for a reason. Right. And so yeah. we just kind of moved in different directions. And when, when that happened, when I lost that creativity, I lost that excitement. So what I'm saying is, is that years later I was able to connect that dot and go, Hmm. The reason why I actually had an issue with my ex was because we lost our relationship, but like I, that creativity is one of my core values. So mm-hmm. I was not excited anymore. I wasn't the guy that she was married to. One of my other core values is relationships. So if I am not actually connected, if I feel disconnected, then I have to go and find out which relationship is it? Is it my mom? Is it my girlfriend? Is it my freaking whatever boss? Mm-hmm. I got to figure out which one it is. And that's my way of being able to keep myself aligned. And I do that for my student, or I should say for my clients as well, because mm-hmm. for me, it's just a way that's really, really been effective to be able to actually become a better version of myself internally, not just externally. Yeah. It's interesting. Right? You say that like, cause I think that, um, in, in, in every fast of life, this is applicable, right? You're Absolutely. like, it's, it's owning your part in, in whatever, whatever it is, yeah. like, regardless of whether you, you, cause again, to your point, I think that when, when things happen, whatever they are, mm-hmm. whether it's relationship and you mentioned just relationships, we'll use a, we'll throw a blanket on it uh, <laughs> yeah. and relationships, no matter what they are, whether they're, they're intimate relationships, like the one that you have with your ex-wife mm-hmm. um, or their relationships that you have with, with your coworkers, relationships that you have with people that you work with, uh, you know, um, in, in, in consulting kind of gigs or something like that relationships that you have with people that you just interact with on a daily basis. The easiest thing in the world to do is when they do something that you don't like is to blame them. That's yep. your first thing. Use that finger you, right there. You did it. And then you don't think about, okay, well, what part did I have in this until if, if you're lucky later, right? You don't start to connect those dots until later. And then, yeah, if, and again, I think that's what you maybe just found is like, well, I gotta, I gotta look in the mirror here. This is not just about them. It's about me. Oh, you want to hear the craziest shit though? This sure. is the craziest part of that whole thing is when I started using the thumb instead mm-hmm. of the finger and I started mm-hmm. going, okay, I am at least 50% accountable for this. Yeah. Then after only chatting with my ex-wife, maybe three times in 15 years after getting divorced, and those three times weren't exactly a pleasant experience. I'm sure not. When it came down to it, I was able to connect with her again and actually go back and say, hey, being real about it, I wasn't being my authentic self. And I explained to her and I explained to her how I connected those dots mm-hmm. and Bam. As soon as we were able to do that, the, that one layer, and that's why I called my book, take it off that mm-hmm. layer removed. It liberated me. It allowed me to actually open up and go, okay, be vulnerable, Corey, be accepting to the fact that you screwed up just as bad. But mm-hmm. when I did that, it made me feel a lot better as a person. And so now for whenever my next relationship happens to come into play, I'm aware now and I'm not going to make that same mistake because when it comes down to it, I was living the slot machine of life before just letting it roll without being aware. I firmly believe through my training, through authenticity coaching, for whether it be through for my video courses or through one-on-one training, it is essential, absolutely essential for anybody that I work with to clarify their core values and then clarify the feelings that are connected to those core values. More importantly, to understand when you're disconnected to those feelings, when you're the opposite of it. So what I'm kind of saying is is by doing that, it just really, it simply allows you to be the best version of you that you can be, but you have to be willing to go there. And a lot of people aren't willing to go there. Yeah, they're not ready. And and, and sometimes you got to be ready. And well, here's the other part too. This is um, an interesting kind of thread to pull on a little bit. So like the, the other part of it too, and I think this is where people get hung up and it, it may be fear that, that mm-hmm. leads them to this place, or it may just be um, their own, like their own internal ego kind of like blocking this a bit. So like they, people would be afraid that, okay, well, if I'm going to own something, if I'm going to be and and uh, like in, I would say keeping your side of the street clean, I'll be honest about the things that I do wrong, right? I'll be honest about like my culpability in something, sure. the fear of the person on the, all right, now you, they're like, no. What's people, what are they going to think of me? Or the person on the other side where you're like having a, if it's a dialogue between two people relationship, them not owning their part in it. You know, like, yeah. so you get, so I think the other part that you have to kind of get comfortable with is that doesn't matter. Yeah. Like you can only deal with what, what you, how you react, how you 
you know, feel. And if they're going to not take the responsibility of saying, yeah, I got a part in this too. And it's a big part and maybe half of the part, then it's on them. Yeah, man. It's, it's the, you can only control, you can control You can't really, you know, when it comes down to other people, like I said, I always try to respect other people's perspectives because I can't control people when it looks like, but I can't see what they see through their lens. Now, right. it does help me out a lot when I can ask other people what my weaknesses and strengths are so that I can actually understand through their lens, what they're seeing about me. Cause I can sure. see what I can see through my eyes. Right. right. So yeah. not every, I came to that realization a while ago that not everybody thinks like me, like when it comes down to like, I don't speak through religious or political ideology whatsoever. I'm not here to do that because mm-hmm. I'm, it's first off, it's totally divisive. Yes. But second yeah. off, when it comes down to it, like I have an ability now, unlike my former self mm-hmm. to go, Hey, you know what? I don't get you. Like, I don't understand you. I disagree with what you're saying, but I really want to understand you. So let me get into that head of yours for a couple seconds. Tell me why you feel this way. I'm going to keep an open mind. Just let me understand you. I might, I, I probably will still disagree with I mean, you. Yeah, you can disagree. You can it's respect, okay. I can respect what you're saying and vice versa. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's kind interesting. Of my goal. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's like, you know, if uh, again, like we, I think that we pride ourselves, we, we actually, um, for as goofy as we can be on, on our normal show when we're not interviewing people <laughs> doing like ridiculous things like, uh, drafting the worst hairstyles of all time. That was a fun one. Um, cool. we, we also like, th- there are a lot of times where we just have to get things off our chest. It's one of the beautiful things you'll learn about having a podcast is you, you just can say whatever you want. Um, you, you, and get it off your chest. And one of the things that, you know, cause there's a lot of, we went through a lot of stuff in the last couple of years and there's a lot of opinions about those, those things. (laughs) And I think that one thing that we kind of pride ourselves on here is that we can see both sides of it. We don't really keep, we don't take sides. We can have opinions on things, but you know, he, Kevin and I don't agree on everything. That's okay. Um, but, and we, we don't agree with everything that's going on, on, on sides. And we do feel like and you know, I'm speaking on his behalf, like I'm his, like his spokesperson. Uh, <laughs> if he was here, he would say the same thing, I'm sure. But like, we don't. I, I like, like you mentioned politics and stuff like that. It's super divisive, and yet you yeah. either if you're not all the way on one side, you're not on that side at all. It's so crazy. Tribal. So yeah, tribal, it's nuts. Dude. It's not so tribal. And that's the thing, right? Is is like, I can only control what I can control in my circle. I can't control what the rest of the world's going to freaking well do. But, you know, again, when it comes down to just respecting other people's perspectives, like I've, I've definitely gone, gone deeply into that because I was very, like I said, you know, seeing life through my lens and, and, mm-hmm. and I was not always right. And so when you're talking about what you're talking about, the subject that you happen to be talking about, it seems like everybody wants to be right. All the like, time. Yes. Nobody, you're not listening to me. I'm yeah. Like, how could you, how dare you? And th- people will ruin their relationship with you <laughs> over the fact that you don't agree with them on that one thing. It's like, I know we don't have to be like simpatico hundred <laughs> percent on everything. Why does it have to be an all or nothing proposition? Why can I just exactly. not disagree with you on this one thing? And we still exactly. be friends. And, 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 and time's proven that none of us have really been right. And I don't know. Really Not hundred percent really of the time. No. Knows. There's nobody who's been right on this. So I mean, have you ever like turned, I, you've, you've changed your mind on things before, right? Like I'm sure, sure like, yeah, everyone does. Yes. And you're like, you know, it's, and people have to your point, you, there's been times where people I've had conversations with people where I felt a very, very strongly in one direction. And then after talking to them, I was like, you know what? I, I actually started to think about that on the other side. I can see where you're coming from here. I may, 100%. I may change my mind on that. And that yeah. mental agility and the the willingness to be able to say, I can change my mind and be okay with it. And I don't have to like staunchly, uh, because I'm on, I'm on the brown shirt team. You're on the blue shirt team. So <laughs> if you're not wearing a brown shirt, bro, uh, <laughs> oh, we cannot be on the same side. We have very core values on the brown shirt team. I'll give you a little chuckle story. I know we're yeah. running on time. That's no, okay. We're good. This. I'm enjoying the shit out of this conversation. Great. But it's funny because uh, in the first chapter of my book, I have a, there's a in my book, actually it's written kind of interesting. It's a different kind of dynamic because it's not just a biography, but it's right. a personal development book. It, it, the take it off is a metaphor. It's not just about taking the clothes off. It's about taking the layers off in your head. Yeah. So folks, if you're, right. you're hoping to see um, Dalton Strong's dong, probably not going to see that. I'm going to see it in the be... book. No, no. Let's <laughs> <don't> imagine <laughs> but, it. Use your creativity. Yeah, Use your imagination. Yeah. But the, <laughs> the cool thing is what I did with this is I wrote the story and then I was like, man, this just isn't enough. Like I need to make mm-hmm. more of an impact. So in each chapter, I actually... Felt, I felt that it was important to point out uh, a core value that I had and a struggle that I had with that core value. So great, cute little story in my first chapter is when I was five years old and I didn't even really know the meaning of what authenticity even meant. And I was actually mm-hmm. being in, unintentionally inauthentic. Now, what I mean by that okay. is that I was actually, my aunt and uncle 
uh, they took me to the fair and they actually took me, they put me on a Ferris wheel and okay. I got stuck at the bloody top of the Ferris oh, wheel no. as a little kid. At and five? Things swing, yeah, and things swinging back and forth. I'm freaking the hell out and crying my eyes out and everything. I was really, it really affected me, man. Like it, it made me actually like through a lot of years of my life, I didn't, I didn't do like the, the high, I guess you could say like the, 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 the like, adrenaline like sports kind of, that were really heights wise. Like I was yeah, kind of freaking out heights, heights, right? Yeah. So years go by, man. I'm talking like a lot of years. And I went to my aunt and I said, you know, I said, why in the hell would you and my uncle have put me on this Ferris wheel at five years old? Like that was pretty freaking harsh, right? Right. And she turned around, she said to me, she started laughing and she's like, Corey, um, we were at the mall. Uh, we put a quarter in the little thing and it was about seven feet tall. You were just sitting at the top of that thing crying like a little bitch. And, and when I asked felt like you were on the top of a mountain. Yeah. That's amazing. Right? So, that, but here's the thing, like, I'll ask you, I ask a lot of podcast hosts when I sure. say this, uh, this story, like when you go back to your elementary school, right? Like, mm-hmm. What's the first thing you notice as an adult if you go back to your elementary school? Oh, how small everything is. How right? tiny the desks it is. are, the halls are like shorter. The, like, everything. yeah. yeah it's the old small. scene. If you, you're, cause you're old enough to remember this movie. If you remember uncle Buck. When he yeah, goes yeah, and, like, yeah. and he has to kneal down to use the urinal because he's so yeah. big. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> still love this, I still love the scene when he's doing the laundry and he's like, I'm going to throw a load into you. I was just like, oh. <laughs> but no, it, but I will say that that is one of the interesting dynamics with the story is, is that when I was an adult and I went back to my elementary school, yeah, I saw everything was smaller, but when I was a little kid and I was looking at that Ferris wheel, even though it was actually a little piss ass one in the mall, I saw it as far larger. Right. Yes. So even so, my own brain, like my own mind, really perceived that to be something different than the actual truth. And so yeah. we're all susceptible to that in our own way. So that's why I keep a kind of an open mind. It's just based off of that one little story, but I keep an open mind as far as my perspective as an adult. I'm not always right. You know, we don't always have to be right. You know, so no, I don't have answer for everybody's freaking problems out there at all. Right. But I do have a heavy drive to help out guys that struggle with that lack. Cause it's something that I've really dealt with a lot in my life. And I will say this, man, you know, from somebody that was raised in a depression era family that had a lot of that lack embedded into their head, right. Mm-hmm. It does pass down. And even myself, two years ago, I was in the Philippines. I went there for a month. I went to Boracay, like the most beautiful Island, one of the most beautiful islands in the freaking world. I'm walking down the beach and I still had that sense of lack inside of me saying the what ifs, the what ifs, the what ifs inside my head, ruining an amazing moment that I should have been living in the freaking now appreciating the present for what it was, but here I was fucking it up and going, Oh, I need to be worried about my future right now and thinking about the money in a negative way. Right. So like I did, like, what are we doing it all for? Like, that's what it kind of comes to. Well, life is short, right? Life is short. And I think people like they, they, they get so like wrapped up in, you know, like you said, the, the, what's going to happen next. Yeah. I got a daughter. And uh, she's in the other room right now. Hopefully she can't hear me. It doesn't Aww. matter. She, she is absolutely a what's in, she, she, this is not a lie. I swear to you on my life. She, when we, she has a birthday coming up, it's going to be in, in, in a, like on, in a, in a week in a few days. Okay. This, and this has happened last year and it's happened several years before that. And it's been consistent every single year. The second her birthday's done, she's like, okay, what about my next birthday? Yeah, right. Like, that's all she's thinking about. She's not thinking about like how great this was. Oh, we had this wonderful cake and this party and these people over and these presents and all this stuff. It's like, okay, what's next? What's next? <laughs> it's about as bad as the news of elections. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's rough, dude. It's like, oh come on. Like, can we just enjoy this? No doubt. No, no, no. Like savor it for a minute. Like it's True. you know, it's it's like uh, if, if you swallowed a steak whole. Like I swallowed an entire tomahawk. <laughs> And I didn't taste a bite of it. I'm just wondering what's next. Where's yeah, my dessert? Where's my your colon's bowl? probably screaming over it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know it. You know it. So I just have curiosity on the on the because uh, you, so you've got the book. You said that you've yeah. got this uh, this gig. So, um, yeah. you know, you're you're um, are you doing any kind of because this book's been out uh, for for a little bit now, right? So it's you so, like, 2021, right? It went out. Yeah, we it launched on January the 18th. Uh, mm-hmm. hit, hit the bestseller list and all that, which was really cool. Congratulations. And it's doing good in Amazon and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. really, again, though, Chris, like, I mean, the book's one thing and it's cool. I'm really proud of it. In fact, it's probably one of the most, uh, I guess you could say one of the most things that I'm most proud of in this lifetime of mine, because it really does mean a lot. Yeah. But at the same time, like, 
it, it's just the launch pad, man. Because like for me now, like where, where I'm really hungry to be able to really use my creativity now is, is not on the exterior anymore. Like I really want to use my creativity to be able to, to, to go into an industry that quite frankly has been really regurgitated a lot of the same information over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it's really in a lot of ways based off of, there's a lot of, I guess you could say public speakers or people in the influencer realm or whatever that really base a lot of their speaking off of religious ideology, which I don't do. Uh, I I won't, I don't go there like, because it's not even that I have any disrespect. It's more so just because I don't, that's not the lens I see it through. So for me, I decided, Hey, I know this sounds a little creepy, especially based off my former industry, but I'm like, okay, I have this book here. Mm -hmm. What I want you to do is, is like read into this and um, I'm going to show you mine in the book. I want you to show me yours. So basically I get my clients to go through my facilitation. They go through my video course and I actually have them cross-reference my book. I want them to look at the reflection that I have on my own life and say, Hey man, go to a certain core value in your life that you struggled with is relatable to what I did and write that down, actually put that on paper and Mm -hmm. actually address that yourself. Because I can't, like I said, everybody's a snowflake in this world when it comes down to that shit, right? We're all different. So I can't really say this is what you need to do, but I can gently guide that person in the right direction without telling them what to do. And to me leading by example and walking that walk ahead of time gives me the experience and the ability to do that and not necessarily have to say I'm an expert per se, but say, Hey, I'm willing to walk that walk. If you're willing to walk it too, you can come be liberated like me. Because awesome. I have been liberated from that bullshit from my past because I connected those dots and it made a massive difference to me. And I got to give massive kudos to my, uh, my editor, my publisher, daring to share global out in Ontario. Like if I have, if it hadn't have been that I connected with that particular company who yeah. I actually do subcontract with now and help other writers out to write more authentically. If I hadn't have actually done that, I would have just wrote what I wrote as far as the story goes and it might've been okay, but it didn't really have that same type of, I guess you could say like, the I didn't meaning. really like, have that same meaning yeah. to it. It just didn't You're having impact. It. You're you're having a positive impact on people. And that's, that's the Massive. important thing. Like that's like to, to be able to do this for, for other people and, and to realize that that's a, what you're talking about is, is really a, a gift. Like it's, it's a gift to be able to, to kind of get to that, that stage. Cause you felt the benefits of that gift. You continue to feel the benefits of that gift. And now you sure, want to man. share that with other people. And, and pardon the pun, but it takes balls, man. You yeah, know, it, does. it does. It takes balls to actually go and say, okay, look, you know, um, this was the reality of a situation where a person in my life was a bad apple. So I had to change the wording around and go, but a bad apple with good intent. Right. And admit that I was also a bad apple with good intent as well. So I'm not sitting there pointing the finger and going, you were an asshole for whatever you did. Right. I accepted that. I brought that into my circle as well. So in my own way, I have to be accountable for that as well. Right. It's not to your point on the, on the religion thing. And and I Mm -hmm. think this is a, a good, a good thing to kind of take away from it as well as like, you know, and it's again, using somewhat of a pun, it's preachy. (laughs) Right. It's, it's specifically preachy. Right. I, I, and so someone who is now elevating themselves and saying, I'm above you and I'm going to tell you what all the things that you're doing wrong. And it's like, okay, but do I need, wouldn't I benefit from somebody who's walked in the same shoes as me and has felt the same things and felt the same way as me? When I get more out of that than feel as though somebody is maybe talking down to me a little bit or, you know, making me feel less than. And I did that myself to people. I looked up and down at them at their pedestal, right? Or on their pedestal. And when it came down to it, that was wrong. Like it was like, it's so wrong in so many ways. And I jokingly say this, Chris, if it was like to take three movies from the past that represented my life, it would be like Magic Mike, Forrest Gump, and freaking Joe Dirt. You throw all three of those bad <laughs> boys together and you pretty much got what I actually was doing there for a while. You know, it, yeah. it's just as, as crazy as it is though, I went on a walk just like old Forrest did especially after my divorce, trying to figure out that long, that long walk. Now I didn't go across the country 10 times, but I did actually have a lot of thoughts in my head that really, I I really used a lot of energy up. that was really negative and really trying to be Mr. Fix it and say, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And it's like, you know what, man, maybe you didn't do that much wrong. You just needed to take some accountability for the shit that you did do and be aware of it. Learn to forgive yourself. Yeah. It's a two-way street, man. It takes two to tango. Right. So when I did that, actually was, what was really cool about that was that that relationship with my ex-wife who we didn't really have a relationship after we split. Mm-hmm. Now we actually have a better relationship and she found her through true authenticity, authenticity after 
I actually connected those dots. So she actually became a better version of herself just based off of looking at me as a role model. And I can't ask for anything more than that. I look at that like that is glory for me because I did not want her as somebody that actually I slept next to for that many years. I didn't want her to carry around that shit for the rest of her life either. Right. Like I want her to have a good life and enjoy it as to her ability, just like anybody that I work with. Really. Damn right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man. Look, um, it's, uh, let me just really quick, get the, the website out. Um, you are at Corey Lane Hilton. Now my listeners are, and this is not an indictment folks. So don't get mad. You're (laughs) kind of dumb. So I'm going to spell it for you. C O R E Y L A I N E Hilton, like Paris, com Corey Lane Hilton.com. You can get his book there. You can get his book pretty much anywhere. Amazon, Google uh, books. You can get it. I'm sure on Apple, you can get it everywhere. Um, yeah. Go there, check it out. Um, take it off. Um, look, you know, one of the things that we, uh, we promise on this show is that we give you interesting people and God damn it. If you're not interesting, um, <laughs> we, and, and we really do appreciate it. And we'll definitely, you know, I'm sure Kevin will has lots of questions. Um, hey, let's do, I'll, I'll do it again. Do, do it again. No problem. And I'll even throw this out for your listeners. Actually, sure. Bring it. Let's go. The, the coaching program doesn't start till April the 1st, but it'll give you the 20% discount on not only the book, but the coaching program for your listeners. Look at all that. You to do is, is go to now it's all small caps. You go to my website. You can go to CoreyLaneHilton.com or, or take it, take it off.ca. It'll take you to the exact same place. You said a little C-A? easier. C-A yes, in Canada. C-A okay. For Canada. Take it off.ca. So what the, yeah. the, the beautiful thing about this is because this isn't going out live, I'm going to have graphics on it. I'll have the, 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 the website on the bottom. So I, <laughs> even though I just called my, my listeners dumb, I'm dumb because I'm actually going <laughs> to put the website down there and you already saw it. So I'm the asshole. Well, I'll give them the code. The code, right, go ahead. What's the, the code? The, when they get to the checkout, all they have to do is just put in D-I-G-C-O-D-E, dig code. You put that in small caps, you'll get the 20% discount on the book or the course, whatever you so choose. And awesome. it kind of kind of does help out with a little bit of that, I guess you could say cost for shipping of the book. Mm-hmm. But if it's something that you do want a signed copy, go to my website, use that discount. If you don't, you're probably better off just to go ahead and order it through Amazon to save your ass on the shipping because the shipping is ridiculous from Canada. Yeah, I'm sure it's very expensive. And I got to be honest, yeah. when you started saying the code, you said DI, I'm like, uh-oh. Uh- <laughs> Oh no. (laughs) I just get, so thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, go get, go uh, get his book, go get his coaching. Great guy. Awesome story. Corey, thank you for joining, taking the dome today. Uh, This is the best man. Really appreciate your time.